Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church invites you to join us every Sunday at 10:30 a.m. for worship, the Word, and fellowship. If you would like more information, visit us at wayfamily.church. Now get your Bibles ready and let's dive in. I'm going to invite you to open to James. We're going to continue in chapter four. Again, four verses, and these four verses that we're going to look into contain 10 commands. So there's a lot of stuff here, a lot of really good, important stuff that we see in these uh, four verses. And uh, they include 10 commands or 10 imperative verbs. Imperative verbs are must-do actions. So let's pay attention. Remember, this is God's word. When God speaks, we should be quick to listen, right? Slow to speak, quick to listen, because what he has for us is very important. So let's go to James chapter four, four verses together. In my opinion, they form one of the clearest calls to salvation in all of scripture. And I'll explain what I mean by that. But these 10 verbs, these 10 action words that we need in regards to drawing near to God, to being in relationship with God are so pivotal for those who are not saved. That means who are in enmity with God, who are not believers, and even those who have perhaps uh, gone prodigal, okay? These, these 10 must-do actions is something that we need to pay attention. Um, and remember, just to remind you, the, the reason why James wrote this letter in the first place, and it was written to challenge professed Christians to test their faith, to find out whether or not their, their faith was genuine. Because James has warned us, just because you profess something, it doesn't necessarily make you genuine. It seems that there was a lot of phonies. I I don't know another word for that, but people who were deceived in thinking that they were believers or they were in good relationship with Jesus. And this is why James takes time to go and or to, to talk about what it looks like to be a friend of God versus what it looks like to be a friend of the world. And so this is a challenge section. I think James does a great job in making it very practical and very uh, useful for us to be able to um, draw near to God. And today is all about drawing near to God. Last week, we took time in looking into what causes quarrels and fighting, what causes war among people. And James answers the question by addressing the fact that conflict with others, you know, is, is the reason for war, and that's the obvious answer there. But it also stems from conflict from oneself, and conflict from oneself is a result of being in conflict with God. And to be in conflict with God, it means that you are a friend of the world. It's, it's to say that you're in hostility with God because there's no either or. I'm, I'm sorry, because there's no this and that. There's only either or. We're either friends of God or we're not. Simply put, if we are in conflict with God, we are an enemy of God. And so let's not be in conflict with God. And this passage right here is exactly what helps us understand how to draw near to God. Now, uh, I just want to remind us what this Bible is for. What, what are the benefits of this among many? 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this is to help us reconcile to God. This is to help us have a good relationship with God. This is not 
only to point out the sin and the things that we need to address or the things that the Lord hates, but it's also for us to be able to draw near to him and be in right standing with him, with the Lord. And there's nothing more beautiful than that. When we are in good relationship with the Lord, our lives are so full. They're full of joy. They're full of peace. They're full of gratitude and they're full of love. It's, it's, it's the kind of fullness that overflows. Good word for it is the plethora of these things that all you can do, you can't, you can't even help yourself. You're going to share with someone else. When we're in right standing with the Lord, when we're in an intimate relationship with the Lord, our lives make sense. They make perfect sense perfect sense. And even the troubles of, the, of, the, of life and of the world um, are overcomable because sometimes I'll tell you, we wonder, how am I going to get through this? It's the worst thing ever. And so James is not making mention to the faults just for the sake of condemnation, but he is really wanting for all of us to be restored and redeemed to the Father. And I think it's safe to say that we all experience a falling out. I'll say, quote unquote, a falling out. You know, we're walking with the Lord, we're doing things, we're growing, and then something happens where we kind of slip backwards, you know, two step forward, one step backwards, but nevertheless, we keep progressing. You know, that's very normal. It's very normal for us to go through those moments where we struggle and we have to be reconciled to the Lord again. You know, even Paul says this, and in my opinion, Paul is one of the greatest Christians that ever walked the earth, other than Christ himself, right? He says this, about himself in Romans 7:15 For I do not understand my own actions for I do for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate I think we can all relate to this I think we all have found ourselves doing something that we're just not proud of right and this is just part of humanity this is part of being sanctified this is part about being constantly redeemed and drawn to the father and so what I want is for us to pay attention to the Lord because perhaps this is his way of beckoning us, of drawing us to him. Here's the thing I want to point out. This sermon's about drawing near to the Lord. I want you to remember Moses. Moses was invited into the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord was manifest as a burning bush. Do you remember that? The Lord said, come Moses, you know? And then as he was stepping in, he says, take off the sandals off your feet for the ground that you are stepping in is holy. And so one thing that's very important for us to understand is that God is holy. We don't just barge in into the presence of the Lord. We don't just show up like sometimes my kids do. Dad, I need this, this, you know. When, when we approach the Lord, we need to have this reverence for him because he is mighty. He is our creator. He is holy. He is powerful. He's awesome. We need to understand that. And there is a proper posture in order to be able to draw near to the Lord. This is why the book of Esther is such a big deal, because Esther walks into the king's chamber without being invited, you know, and everyone was like, oh. <gasps> What's going on? There was a lack of reverence in that place, right? But that's the reason why there was that big gasp is because nobody does that. Nobody just barges in into the presence of the king. Likewise, we can't do that with God. But I have good news for you. That doesn't mean that he's not accessible. And that's what we will see here. But there is a proper posture into 
approaching the Lord, into drawing near to God. And this is in response to what James has already said. Uh, we, we read this last week, and I'll just remind you briefly what he said. He said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Memorize that. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so now we'll see James continuing that message, continuing that, that, that instruction to the church. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then he continues in verse 7. Let's read this together. James chapter 4, 7 through 10. He says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this time that we have with you, Lord, and the love that you express by bringing us to your word that's profitable for correction, for reproof, for, for teaching, for building up, for instructing us in how to be in, in right standing with you. Lord, I ask that these words would not go void in our hearts and in our minds today, but that we would cling to them, Father, that we would make sense of them so that we could respond to you and your beckoning. So, Lord, this time, Father, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would mold our hearts according to your will. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Okay. When the Lord calls, we need to respond. Now, I think the Lord is very gracious with us in giving us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And some of us sometimes know it. it's like, man, I feel like the Lord's drawing me to something and we just don't respond. Or we do. Regardless, it's important to respond when the Lord calls. And so how do you respond? I'm glad you're all asking that. Because that's exactly what James is telling us what to do here, is to respond to the Lord so that we could draw near to him. God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. He basically just defined what it means to be humble. That's what we see in this portion. In other words, God is an enemy of the proud, and he is a friend to those who are humble. Do you want to be a friend of God? Yeah? Then we need to be humble before the Lord. We need to be humble people. This is friendship with the Lord. This is whom the Lord graces, the humble. And we'll talk more about it. Now, big idea. I just want to throw this out there. If there's a big idea here, if there's a central point here, I think it's this. When we draw near to God, he draws near to us. But we can't even draw near to God unless he beckons us to himself. So it's very interesting how that works. All in all, God's in control of everything, right? But when we draw near to him, he also draw, draws near to us. And I think uh, in this passage, we see that James has lifted 10 things. If you read that along with me, you, you read 10 things of what God requires as a response to a sovereign, gracious call. The Lord's divine provision demands a human response. We have a human responsibility when we're called, and that starts with humility. And so I want, I want to say this. 
that salvation actually requires of these 10 things, but at the same time, we can't even do these 10 things unless the Lord calls us and helps us to do them. And so it's kind of a funny thing, and I want to make sure that I'm not misspeaking here, or you're not misunderstanding. I'm not saying that if you check this list of boxes, then you can be saved. I'm saying that the process of salvation, which justification happens as instant as the Lord just pulling you out from death, right? But salvation in itself requires all these things to happen. It's, it's amazing. And I hope that you understand it as we dive into it. Because to be saved means to be uh, taken, right, from, from life, from, I'm sorry, from death to life, right? To be now in the presence of, to be an heir of God, to be a child of God, right? To be near to the Lord. And to be near to the Lord, we must have a proper posture. And so... James demands of unbelievers and those who are who have severed relationships. And I do say unbelievers. Now, this 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 passage, this this whole letter was written to the dispersed, right? To Jewish believers who were not in Jerusalem. But he's also talking to unbelievers. And I'll show you how I know that. But this is what he calls us to do. All of us who have a severed relationship with the Lord. He's called he's called us to submission, resistance, fellowship, Cleansing, purification, misery, sorrow, tears, seriousness, and humility. If you didn't get all of those, we're going to go through each one of them. Okay? So let's look at the first one of the ten. Verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Now remember, this is in regards to drawing near to the Lord, to being the, the humble that receives the grace from God. He says, submit yourself therefore to God. Submit. What is this word? This is primarily a military term that means to rank under. My brother Philip here will know exactly what that means, and so would anyone who has been part of the military. When you have a superior officer, someone who ranks above you, you don't have the choice but to submit yourself to that ranking officer. All right? This is what it means to submit. It's to have a lower ranking, and therefore you must voluntarily submit yourself. This right here, this particular word, is a passive form that indicates submission to be voluntary. Now, you could always rebel against your uh, ranking officer, but if you know, if you, if you have any kind of wisdom, you will submit to your ranking officer, right? You will voluntarily do that, understanding that there's a process, that there's a system, that there's a structure, and there's a reason for this. And these people perhaps have earned it or they've been placed in those positions for a reason. Now, Luke uses this passive form to submit to describe Jesus' submission to his parents. Look at Luke 2.51. He says, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I can imagine Mary thinking, wow, the man I birthed, the boy I birthed is, is Lord, you know. And Jesus, as a child, could have had every right to actually lead his parents. He, he really did as creator, as Lord, as God incarnate. But yet he voluntarily submitted himself to his parents. And I imagine that just Mary was just like, wow, this is an interesting situation here. But that's, that's, the, that's the submit that James is calling us to, is to recognize that there's something, there's an authority that has been placed over us, and we need to voluntarily submit here. That means to come before and, and take, a, take, a, take a knee, you know, to know, to recognize, no, I am not superior to you. 
that Jesus didn't have to do this and he did it even as a child. And then Paul also uses this term to indicate uh, a Christian's responsibility to human government. In Romans 31, we also saw this in First Peter, let every person be subject to governing authorities. This should be a voluntary posture of submission. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Again, a passive use of the word to submit, meaning to be voluntary out of our own willingness. Now, if wives don't submit to their husbands, that doesn't mean that they cease being their wives. If children don't submit, submit to their parents, that doesn't mean that they cease being their children. You see that? However, it is a reverent thing to submit in those situations. To submit to God, though, for the purpose of drawing near to him is required. We cannot choose not to submit to God because it's like the thing that doesn't mix. You cannot, you can't have either or uh, 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 both. You have to have the one to be able to have the next. It's almost like a mathematic formula. You must submit. And it is so much be more beautiful when we do it because we understand the awesomeness of God and we come before him. And by the way, the ability to see the awesomeness of God, his grandeur, the majesty that he is, that's a grace in itself, right? And so we must submit, be submissive, be, be um, uh, uh, beneath uh, knowing that we set our pride aside because pride says, I don't need God, I've got this. But humility says, oh, I, need, I need the Lord, I don't got this, God help me. Then, right, we see this beautiful picture here that the Lord also draws near to us. So that's the first thing that uh, uh, James mentions is submit, submit to God. That is to obey him, to obey his word about Christ, to obey the fullness of the gospel of God, as well as to submitting to Jesus as Lord. We must submit. And I love this promise in Matthew 10 from Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life, meaning, meaning whoever submits his life for my sake will find it. So there's a beautiful promise in this, right? We will find relationship in the Lord, friendship with the Lord when we submit ourselves to, to him. He also said in Luke 14, 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple meaning whoever does not set themselves aside their whatever plans they had for their own lives and submit to me cannot be my follower you know in order to follow someone you have to submit to that person in order to be taught by someone you have to be inclined to receive from them to understand that they're they're imparting something onto you and jesus said pick up your cross and follow me this is how you will know that you will be my disciple now, here's something that's extremely important to be certain of. And I really want to make this note. Contrary to what many evangelical Christian circles teach today, and I, and I have noticed that many do this, and I'm not saying that they all do this either. There's so very, there's a lot of very good Bible teaching churches out there, okay? So I'm not trying to be cynical here. But contrary to what many evangelical uh, Christian circles teach today, there is simply no such thing as trusting Christ as Savior without at the same moment submitting to him as Lord. You can trust him all you want. You can say that sinner's prayer all you want, but we must submit to him in that moment as Lord. What does it mean to submit to him as Lord? That means he rules. That means he calls the shots. That means that your plan goes out the door. You are now his subject, just as 
the subjects of the king of a nation, right? Their will is not to be done. If the Lord decrees, their Lord, whoever that king is, decrees anything, that's what goes. We have to submit ourselves to the lordship of the Lord to be in right standing with him, to be in relationship with him, to be able to draw near to him. We must submit. Moses is a great example. When he drew into the presence of the Lord, he had this posture of submission, right? And then he received from the Lord. Another necessary thing to do to be reconciled to the God or to be able to be drawn into to the Lord's presence is resistance. If you keep reading here in verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This, by definition, is the same thing as submitting to God. If you submit to God, you're resisting the devil. If you're resisting the devil, that means you're submitting to God. The difference here is focus, okay? To submit to God is to really think on God, to dwell on him, to realize his awesome, his grandeur, his might, and realizing that I have to have the right posture to enter the chambers of the king. But to resist the devil is to be able to have the equipment because the devil is described as a, as a prowling lion looking and seeking for someone to devour. So we need to be able to resist that when it, when it hits us in the face. Because we're not, um, we're not uh, what's the word I'm looking, uh, exempt from being attacked from the devil. The devil is going to try to deceive us constantly. He did this with, to Jesus himself. And while he was in the wilderness, the devil tries and he tempts him. So we need to be able, we need to be ready to resist the devil. Now the difference, again, is emphasis. There's no middle ground here. No neutrality. When it comes to allegiance, Jesus said earlier in chapter 4 that friendship with the world is hostility toward God, and whoever wishes to be friends with the world makes himself an enemy of God. So if we do not resist the devil, we become an enemy of God. So therefore, it is important to resist the devil so that we are found to be a friend of God. It is either or, not both. And in Revelation 3, 15, 16, God says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would, you, would that you would either be cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. We cannot be neutral, folks. If we submit to God, we must resist the devil. Got it? We cannot be friends with the bills. Submitting to God, submitting to the devil, that just doesn't work. Okay, so to stand with the Lord is to stand against everything sinful and worldly that formerly was appealing, that was corrupting and enslaving to us. That is to be opposed to sin itself. Paul reminds us this in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, he says, You were dead in the trans trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's past life now. We have been redeemed. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of us. But by grace we have been saved. This is the condition we were in, but Jesus in his grace has saved us from this condemnation that we deserved but we no longer serve the devil. We now serve the Lord. That is so important. The devil. Who's this guy anyway? The devil means slander. It's a title. It means deceiver. It means accuser. There's another name for him. Satan. Right? Or in Espanol, chamuco. <laughs> I know. That's a funny word, right? I've heard Satan be called a chamuco before. 
which I think is a very funny word. Anyway, that was just beside the point. Anyone who does not belong to Christ is a child of the devil. Let's make note of that. The Bible is very explicit about that. But the one who practices sin is of the devil. So let's make sure we're not practitioners of sin. What does that mean? You know how like a doctor said to practice medicine? That means that they're constantly trying to improve in their ability to do so. That is same word there to practice sin is we get better and better at doing it. So to the point that we don't even think about it. So let's not be practitioners of sin. Let's resist that because there is no neutrality. We don't even want to get caught in the middle because then we get spit out from there. We want to be safe, secured. We want to be near the Lord so that there's no doubt. There's no rejection there because the one who belongs to Christ is a child of God. That's the promise of the Lord. All right. So how do we resist the devil? And I want to give you this pointer for your own personal study. The obvious answer is to submit to God. But I'm going to give you a passage that is so important for all of us to be able to take time and study. And I'm not going to go through it today, but it's nevertheless important. And it is essentially how God resisted the devil with the word of the Lord. He responded to him. Every temptation was, God says, right? It is written. And so he is able to overcome that. And the devil flees from this. He must flee. He has no authority over the word of God. And so one thing that we need to be very keen and ready to do is to utilize the word of God, the truth of God's word, because, again, the devil, his goal is to be a deceiver, to deceive us. And he's really good at it. But when we know the truth, the truth sets us free. We know when we're being this or when someone's trying to deceive us. So know the word. The other thing that we need to be very familiar with is the full armor of God. And we find that in Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 17. Write that down. We need the full armor of God so that we could withstand the schemes of the devil. This is very important for us to have. This is how we resist the devil. Now, let's keep going. What else is James saying? Verse 8, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is to have fellowship with God. This is the whole point. This is kind of a coverall here. But to be in fellowship with God is very important. Our salvation brings forth this desire for genuine relationship with God. Our aim is to know him more and more and more. To be in fellowship with God is to abide in him. How do we abide in him? We search him. We read in his word about him. And the more we read of him, the more we want to be with him, right? Have you had that experience? The more you learn something about God, it's like, I want to know more. I want this experience more and more and more and more. This was David's experience, and he was so great as a psalmist because of his relationship, because of the fellowship that he had with God. Look at Psalm 42, 1 through 2. He says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You know, in the Old Testament, those who drew near to God had to be prepared. You know, I mentioned Moses too, but did you know that even the priests... In order to get into the Holy of Holies, there was this preparation. And not just the Holy of Holies, even the holy place. You know, they had to to be prepared to be able to uh, be in fellowship with God. And this preparation was quite elaborate, you know. And I'm, I'm just grateful that we don't have to go through that anymore because of the work that Jesus has done in our lives. You know, Jesus is now very clear it's very clearly very explicit the way to come to the father what does he say in john 
14.6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We used to have this mediator, this priest, right? We used to have to bring our sacrifices to the priest, and the priest would have to mediate. But when Jesus Christ came, that's it. That's our connection to, to, to God. And there is no mediator other than Christ. We don't pray to saints. We don't pray to statues. We don't pray to buildings. We don't do anything because the Bible is very explicit about this. There is only one mediator between man and God, and that is Christ Jesus. There is only one way to the Father, and we need to understand this. And in order to have fellowship with God, we need to have a love, a relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I tell you this as plain as day because there is no confusion here. There is no room for confusion here. Jesus makes it very clear. The only way to the Father is through Him. Amen? Amen? And so to have fellowship with Him is to draw near to Him, to know Him, to be saturated by His Word, to be uh, 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 just constantly in His presence. You know, Jesus made this possible in a couple of different ways that, that really stick out to me. One, He is God incarnate. And so to have fellowship with Christ is to have fellowship with God. You see that? But then when, all, when he was uh, uh, hung on the cross and in his death, the veil tore in half, the veil that separated man from the Holy of Holies, that means we now have access to the Lord. And this is all through Jesus and his work. <clears throat> he is not unknown to us. He has revealed himself to us. We can have relationship with Christ. All you got to do is read your Bible. You know, all you got to do is just behold this and saturate yourself with the wisdom and you will see the beauty of his creation everywhere and you will see his hand at work everywhere and you will see how beautiful it is once you taste and see that the Lord is good, right? We want more of him, that fellowship, that relationship. That's how friendships work, right? The more you know someone, the more you want to be with that person the closer you are with that person. So let's be in fellowship with God. He is not unknown to us. Our hearts should long for communion with him. If we continue reading verse eight, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I have a shirt that says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. <laughs> but what does it mean? It's very important for us to consider what it's saying here. This is the fourth command that's inviting us into reconciliation with God, and that's cleansing. And um, the origin of this idea was in the Jewish ceremonial laws. The priests needed to wash their hands. They needed to go to the laver of bronze to be washed their hands and feet before they performed the sacrifices before the Lord. They needed to have clean hands in order to do this. What does that mean? That means, let's just speak in it, into it practically, that means Whatever you're doing, knock it off. Whatever actions you're displaying that are sinful, knock it off. We need to cleanse ourselves of that, right? And what's interesting is that, who's he talking to? Why aren't you guys raising your hands? He's saying, you sinners. This is really interesting. I'm glad that no one here raised their hands because we are set apart. We have been reconciled with the Lord, right? We are now justified by him, but he's saying, Wash your hands or cleanse your hands, you sinners, meaning that we are not living a way worthy of the gospel. James is calling out professed believers unto repentance, and he's also calling out unbelievers because it's very possible to have unbelievers pretending to be Christians. Did you know that? And so he's calling out those people. He says, cleanse your hands, 
You have to realize that you're dirty, that you're filthy, and that you need a cleansing. And this is how I know he's talking to unbelievers here, specifically, is because that word sinner is hamartolos, and is only used of the unbeliever. It means devoted to sin, someone who is far from the presence of the Lord, a heathen. He's saying, cleanse your hands, you heathens. Right. What, is he talking to me? Is he talking to me? Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't, right? Maybe he's talking to your neighbor. Don't look at him. Nevertheless, this is a prescription on how to be able to draw near to the Lord, how to be reconciled to the Lord. Here's the good news. Here's, here's the very good news. In Matthew 9, 13, Jesus says, I came not for the righteous, but for who? The sinner. So regardless of our, our downfalls, right? There's redemption in Christ Jesus. We're not being condemned, but we're being restored to him. We're being called to him. The Lord offers salvation, right? It's amazing. It's beautiful. He came for us. You know, Mark, Matthew, and Luke all mention this statement. And Christ demonstrates his love for us that while we were in the state of being sinners, he dies for us. There is no greater love than that. That is noteworthy. So this cleansing is ultimately done by Jesus, by his blood that, that, that poured down uh, on the cross and it washes the sins of the world. So be cleansed by Christ. This is how we draw near to God. Continuing verse eight, he says, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Oh, purification is next. It's also needed in drawing near to God. This called to purify your hearts correspond to the cleansing of your hearts and the you double-minded corresponds to the you sinners part. So these kind of go hand in hand. James is associating the outward sins of hands with the inner sins of the heart because anything that happens comes, starts from the heart. So we don't need just to cleanse ourselves, but to be purified entirely. Don't just quit doing naughty things. Change the heart. That's the source of the, the desire to do those naughty things, let's say, right? So we need to be completely purified. We need to be completely, radically cleansed. This is the call, the call that the Lord has for us because when we're purified, then we can enter into the holy of holies, right? This is why the Lord says, take off the, the sandals off your feet, Moses. That's dirty. The place that you are entering is holy ground. We need to be purified. David uh, did the same. Look at, look at Psalm 24, 3 to 4. He says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. It is necessary that we are pure in spirit, right? And there's a blessing that comes from this, uh, that, that from Jesus, right? But it's important for us to address those impurities. It's important for us to realize, wow, I need saving. There's definitely some kind of filth inside of me that needs to be addressed. Matthew 15, 19 says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Reconciliation begins with the heart. It's not just our actions. Got that? Now, in regards to being double-minded, this literally means double-souled, wishy-washy. James has, has mentioned this previously over and over. This is a lack of integrity. It's to claim one thing and live the other. Jesus himself made this issue clear. Matthew 6, 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. No one can, we can't be double-minded. We can't be wishy-washy. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. The sinner or the wayward believer, let's say, is, 
is, is double-minded. So we ought to be purified from this. And so what should we do? I'll give you the, the prescription straight from Isaiah. 50, Isaiah chapter 55, 6 through 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's good news. And that pardon comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We keep reading. What else do we do? Uh, verse 9, be wretched, he says. <clears throat> so you double-minded, be wretched and mourn and weep. Be wretched. What does that mean? Like, really? Uh, I don't even know what that means. That, another translation says, be miserable. Misery is to be broken and feeling like the wretch because we recognize our sinfulness. That's what it is. Do you remember that song, that hymn? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So to be wretched is to realize, I, I don't have it together. I, I am guilty of sin. I have sin in my heart. I realize that now. This is what James is saying. It's okay. Find out. Realize that you are wretched and you need saving, that you need purification. Be wretched. You know, there's promises that come from this too. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then along with this comes misery and weeping and also tears. So he says, be wretched and mourn. Mourning is to, to show sorrow. And then it comes with weeping, which is tears. Be wretched and mourn and weep. To weep is to open up the floodgates, right, of the internal sorrows. And this is the manifestation of our realization of our wretchedness and mourning. In the Jewish tradition, there was a proper way to weep. Did you know this? Like you, you could hire people to weep. But even when you wept, when you showed true, sincere remorse, when it was like, okay, I really now understand the fullness and the gravity of my sin, and that only provokes you to sorrow and deep lament and, 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 this, and this sense of tears, this weeping. And so what people used to do, and I want you to remember the king of Nineveh, when he heard uh, Jonah's uh, message, he wept. He covered himself in sackcloth. They used to shave their heads. They used to sit on, on ashes and they would weep out loud. This was a demonstration of humility, realizing I have missed it. This is what James is calling us to do, is to realize the sinfulness in our hearts that should bring us to our knees and say, I missed it. I need help. I'm so far from God's holiness. This is to weep. David does this too. After he's confronted by Nathan, Remember that? Saul, uh, not Solomon, but the, the boy before Solomon, uh, when he passed away because of the sin between David and Bathsheba, David comes and he weeps. He weeps from the bottom of his heart, right? He shaves his head, clothes himself in sackcloth, sits in ashes and weeps wholeheartedly, asking the Lord for repentance. That's what that is. You're saying, forgive me, God, I messed up. You know, and then we read in Mark 14 that Peter does the same. Now, we don't have a whole lot of details on how he expresses it, but, he, but Mark 14, 72 tells us that Peter wept after he realized that he had denied Christ three times. He wept. He felt that deep sense of sorrow. And likewise, he or she who is truly sorrowful, we should weep and come to the Lord in repentance. That's really like, okay, I need God's help. I realize the gravity of my sin. 
this is necessary for us to be, be able to draw into, near to the Lord, to realize our filth, and to say, God, I realize I missed it. I messed up. I need your help. Verse 9, he says, Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, get serious. This is not a laughing matter. Get serious about sin. Deal with it. Get serious about your faith. Work it out, right? Get serious about God. Get serious about his, his, his mighty majesty. Get serious about it. This is not a game. This is not a fairy tale. Get serious about this stuff and deal with the things that need to be dealt with. Draw near to him. Get serious about your relationship with the Lord. I keep telling my family here and there just jokingly, quit messing around, right? Seriously, though, we need to quit messing around. And we need to start drawing near to the Lord because Luke 6, 21 says, Blessed are those who weep now, for you shall laugh later. Okay? Laughing celebration comes later. Right now, let's deal with our sin. And when we're in the presence of the Lord, wow! It's amazing. And even now, once we've reconciled with the Lord, oh, we're just so filled with joy. We're so filled with that, that, that abundance that comes from the Lord, that life and, and beauty that it is to be with Him. But Right now, it's time to get serious about our sin. That's what James is saying. It's time to just be serious about this. Quit messing around. And then finally, and certainly not least, last but not least, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This means be humble. There's a promise that comes with this one. You know, humility is not only the starting point. Remember, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And now he's closing it up with, Humble yourself, therefore, right? Because that's how you are going to be exalted. And so all of these commands, think it, think it through. You can circle or box that whole section. That is all humility, all of that. So he's kind of putting a bow into this. He's saying, humble yourselves, make yourself lowly, submit, you know, mourn, weep, be sorrowful, be wretched, do all these things. Because this is what true humility looks like. True humility is a result of our realization that we are wretched sinners, that we have fallen short of the glory of God. And there's a promise that comes to this, and it's so beauty, beautiful. When we do this, God exalts us. Wow! What does this mean? This is to receive the blessing from the Father as an heir. This is to receive adoptions of, as sons and daughters. For we are therefore no longer enemies of God, but righteous before him, recipients of grace, spiritual blessings. We could be blameless, adopted as sons, redeemed by Christ. That's the promise that comes with that. If we are humbled, the Lord exalts us. He gives grace to the humble. Amen? And I want to close with this. And I hope that this is challenging for all of us. I think all of us could be more humble, right? Matthew 23, 11 through 12 says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. And so the call that James gives us today is not for the sake of condemnation. It's for the sake of realization that we would be able to draw near to the Lord. And the promise goes, when we draw near to the Lord, when we humble ourselves, therefore, before the Lord, He draws near to us, and we're able to enjoy that relationship, that beautiful relationship that we can only experience with being with the Father, Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. Amen? So, 
Here's what I'd like to do. I would like to take a moment, just bow our heads. And I want you to think, what is your takeaway? I couldn't put a takeaway down for you because I think this is so personal. I want you to think, what is your takeaway? And if you, if you have something that comes to mind, write it down. What is the Lord saying to you right now? Let's take a moment and just think here for a little bit. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. God gives us opportunities to draw near to him every moment. Are we forsaking those? Are we not being serious about our relationship with the Lord? What is the Lord saying to you at this moment? I just want you to take a moment and really think on that. And my prayer is that the Lord helps us and calls us into relationship with him, not just generally, but every moment of our lives. This is drawing near to God. This is being genuine with our faith. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for your sacrifice and thank you for your expression of love to us in that while we were enemies, your enemies, you saved us, you redeemed us, you pulled us away from that. You died for us as an expression of your love. And Lord, help us, Father, humble ourselves before you where we realize how awesome you are. We realize how majestic you are. We realize how far we are from being glorified. We realize that we need work. We realize that we fall short each and every day. We realize that we do things that we hate that we do. We ask, Father, that you would help us, that you would continue to purify us, that you would continue to sanctify us, Lord Jesus, and that you would continue to break our hearts for the things that break yours that we would be able to be in communion with you, that we would be able to know you. And your promise is true. The more we lean on you, the more we learn from you, the more we love you, the more we want from you, the more we long for those streams of water, the more we look forward to eternity with you, and the more we are empowered to share this beautiful, awesome, wondrous sense of joy, this based on truth, Lord Jesus, based on your promises, Father, that we would go and tell others about it. Help us, Father, be reconciled to you. Lord, we humble ourselves before you because you are our Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.